welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that explores the non-Star Wars works of Star Wars creators, and sometimes the Star Wars works of them too. It's a gray area at times. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are bringing to you a, uh, an analysis of the delightful sequel to American Graffiti, the 1979 film More American Graffiti, uh, executive produced and story by George Lucas and uh, directed by Bill Norton. So we have discussed American Graffiti here on Great Shot Kid. Classic of American cinema, absolutely wonderful, captured the youth uh, experience of, you know, where were you in 62, just as the country was changing, and ends with a, a coda as Kurt is going off to college, telling you the fate of each character. And more American graffiti picks up with many of those same characters exploring some middle ground between then and their ending and mike i believe this is your first time seeing more american graffiti correct yes it was i am dying to get your reaction okay well i mean this is the thing like the reason why i never you know watched it in the past it's not like i was boycotting it or anything you know usually if i like a movie i will you know, watch the sequels regardless. Um, and with this one, the reason why I kind of didn't feel the need to do that was not because everyone was saying it was terrible, although that didn't help matters. You know, I think if everyone right. had been saying that it was a masterpiece, I would have seen it a lot earlier. But the fact that people were saying that it was terrible wasn't really discouraging me. But what wasn't encouraging me was the fact that the first movie really does feel like the work of an auteur. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Star Wars in terms of its style is kind of a blank slate in a lot of ways. You know, I don't feel like, like that movie um, could only be directed by George Lucas, you know, because I think that it's kind of devoid of anything that makes it special on an aesthetic level and i know that sounds very like dismissive of it and it's not it's just that's yeah, but but I, mean, but I mean you're talking about in terms just in terms of like the camera setups there, was, well, there wasn't anything about the camera setups or, because yeah. i don't know that i agree with you necessarily because obviously lucas brought his lucasness to star uh, wars and that's what made it what it was well i don't know i think what what made star wars what it was in addition to sort of like the design world, you know, to steal a line from La La Land, which I know you're intimately familiar with at this point. Um, Very much so. George Lucas has a knack for world building, you know, and mm -hmm. um, I, he does that really well. Like you, you create this environment which you feel like actually exists. And the story that he was telling was kind of like epic in nature and everything like that. And I think that, that all that stuff is what makes Star Wars great. But if you look at it just like as a movie, like in terms of, yeah, you know, um, the photography or whatever, there's nothing about it which really signifies anything um i i i do not 
I do not agree with that. I think that you can. I think that maybe what you're speaking to, uh, that where I, where I could sort of like see an argument is it's well documented that Gil Taylor and Lucas completely disagreed about how the movie should be shot. Yeah, and Lucas is on record as saying that it didn't look the way he always wanted it to. He made compromises because Taylor was basically shut up, kid. I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I I, I get to, I get to call some shots here because I'm the one doing the setups. And, um, and and you know maybe maybe that's true. And maybe if he had his original choice, which was Peter Shashitsky, it would have looked a lot better. Maybe it would have looked like Empire Strikes Back. And I I oftentimes wonder like if. Shashitsky shot uh you know Star Wars like would that be the the best of the trilogy like I'm curious anyway you know I, listen of the original trilogy there are plenty of people who love the first one best uh, I yeah. actually a friend of mine uh when I was growing up his dad he would hear absolutely no argument that the first one was anything but you know one of the three best films ever made and the sequels never touched it mm-hmm. so I I I definitely don't agree about that but i agree with your point that american graffiti the original is an absolute tour de force i mean it is somebody who really i'm you know just was the work of an auteur like you said and i think a lot of uh, that is due to the way that the uh the actors are directed you know i think that that it has much more sort of like altman-esque feel to it and, and that sort of thing in addition to the sound design that we talked about you know i think mm-hmm. that that really sort of makes it very unique and everything and you know thinking about all those things like thinking about you know how much it does feel like it was a george lucas film you know as opposed to you know like star wars in a lot of ways which i feel like could be taken on by other directors and you know has been to to great effect i i, I got Again, the, disagree but okay, okay. <laughs> i i got the uh the the impression that like you couldn't make an american graffiti movie without george lucas and have it be no. anything at all interesting okay so okay so what okay i think i understand your distinction here that um, uh, of between american graffiti and star wars it was completely possible for somebody else to come in and do a star wars movie yeah that was equal or greater whereas american graffiti is so uniquely lucas mm-hmm. that there is nothing like without him there's no american graffiti afterward either yeah is like that, you hear yeah. uh you know okay you hear like people doing covers of louis louis and you're like does that even how is that even a thing and i know that's a thing right. i know that like we had a dj here in chicago who did an entire like four hour set where all he did was play covers of Louie Louie. So I mean that is that is a not so thinly veiled <laughs> cry for help, Mike. Did somebody get him assistance? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, I mean that you know it's it's like one of those things, you know, you hear people like, oh, you know, someone's remaking Psycho and you're like, why would anyone do that? Because Yes, that would be a good question. <laughs> but you find a unique way to do it and it ends up being a really interesting movie. So um, anyway, regardless of any of that, you know, you say like, oh, I'm going to do a sequel to American Graffiti, but, you know, it, George Lucas is not going to direct it. And I'm kind of like, well, then why would I watch that? You know, how are you going to how are you going to capture what he did? or whatever, which was so unique. It's not going to be American graffiti. It's not going to be anything interesting. It's going to be something which is completely watered down 
and kind of pointless. So when I started up this movie, I, I you know was bracing myself for that, and mm-hmm. what it ended up being, I think, was something really, really unique because. It didn't try to be American Graffiti 2. It tried to be its own thing. And it came up with its own incredibly unique and bizarre style, which did not really have anything to do with American Graffiti style. It wasn't yeah. trying to be American Graffiti and falling short, inevitably falling short. It decided to do its own thing. And it did some really, really weird, crazy stuff visually speaking and yes. that to me made it a very interesting movie even if it wasn't a very good movie i i do agree that it's interesting uh it, it was actually lucas's idea to use different aspect ratios mm. uh for for all the four different timelines interesting and apparently bill norton who directed it was picked by kazanjian mm-hmm and uh, even though he's the writer-director, he uh, specifically had said to Lucas he didn't think it was going to work, the, the structure that he had. I mean, I think that at the very least, more American Graffiti showed Lucas still trying to do something non-Star Wars, do something more abstract the way that he always wanted to. Yeah. And... Like there's some alternate reality somewhere where more American graffiti worked better than the Empire Strikes Back, and mm-hmm. that's the path that Lucas went down. I mean, for me, watching more American graffiti now is very much, I think, what cemented Lucas's direction going forward. This did not work, and I think that what to speak to your point, I think that what did not work was that George Lucas was not making it. George Lucas was executive producing it and he was, you know, one or two steps removed because he's he's in pre-production for Empire at the time that this is going on. So he can't even, you know, recognize a problem and fix it. He's just, you know, checking dailies every so often and saying, hey, you know, keep it up, do something weird. And um, my first encounter with this uh, movie is actually from childhood. Uh, There was a UHF station here in the D.C. metro area. Uh, channel 50 that would get away with dropping the occasional curse word because nobody watched it. So yeah. they were like, well, who cares? Whatever. I mean, man, the, the glory days of UHF. And there's a, a specific scene in this where Scott Glenn playing the long haired band leader encounters a country and Western guy who says, you look like S and Scott Glenn replies, you know what? When I woke up this morning, I said I looked in the mirror and I said, "You know what? You look like S." And I remember the specific moment of seeing that on Channel Fifty as a kid and saying, "They just said the S word." <laughs> now, as I revisited it later, and as I revisited it this time, I think the movie is an unwieldy mess because because it does flip back and forth between the years, mm-hmm. and I, I do think that it gets so jumbled up that it is difficult to follow in a lot of ways there like there there are a lot of things where i can follow the storylines just fine but then something happens in another storyline i say oh that's right this is a this is a different year than what was happening in what i just left five seconds ago you know all of this stuff is you know because all of the plot lines are separated by uh you know at least 12 months essentially 
and yeah, so they're see, all on New Year's Eve, like in three right. consecutive years or something. Yeah, yeah, and it's so I, I think that that really contributes to it. I mean, what what's frustrating about it for me is that there there are certain things that are good and enjoyable about it as elements. I think that Paul Lamatt as John Milner is great to watch. And, you know, you see a slowly maturing guy, you know, the, the guy who, who still needs to mature a little bit, but that in and of itself, I think speaks to the difficulty of this sequel is we already know where these people, at least two of these characters are going to end up finally. And so to give me this story, there's absolutely no, um, there, there's no suspense. Like I know that anything I watch happening now, ultimately, I have the back in, in the back of my brain, is pointless in a sense because I know already what's going to happen to them. Now there is a little bit of a reversal of expectation with Terry the Toad, but it's not particularly satisfying. The the way his story wraps up. The way that you describe that is is very similar to a lot of. Uh, problems that many people have with the prequels and they're wrong okay no (laughs) listen i get problems that people have with the prequels and the idea that i know obi-wan isn't going to die and Mm -hmm. i get that palpatine is going to become the emperor and stuff like that but at the same time that's why i think the prequels wisely spend their time showing a lot more of the world building and a lot more of the state of the galaxy because you know that certain of these characters are untouchable by fate as we're watching it there's no real sense of peril for obi-wan because we know he has to make it out of there alive and we know that anakin is going to become darth vader and so by spending more time with what caused the war and instead of relegating that stuff to the periphery the way that the original trilogy did it takes more of a center stage i think that's what makes the prequels work is that he embraces the idea that well you know most of these people that we're looking at right now you know most of these people you know in this column are going to die and in this column are going to live so let's show where they are tangentially with regards to the rest of the galaxy that's why i think the prequels work whereas this is a personal story tightly focused on these characters and we already know their definite ultimate end uh, I guess so. you know yeah. in terms of the arc i mean going back to the you know living and dying columns would yeah. you put like uh darth maul's lower half in the dying column and upper half in the living column is that well i i haven't seen darth maul's lower half so i would say okay. he's def that part's definitely dead okay but i see that a, i see that they're gonna face heart. off again in a couple of weeks or something like that on the uh the show uh, uh, yes. Uh, you know what? You know what? Uh, yes, they do. Uh-huh. And what's very interesting to me is the fact that I think this is a, a statement about exactly how bad more American graffiti is, uh-huh. is that we seem to be subconsciously looking for anything else to talk about <laughs> than the movie. I'm just saying that maybe this time around, Obi-Wan has learned from his mistakes. And instead of cutting Darth Maul in half horizontally, he'll try mm-hmm. to cut him in half vertically. I think, uh, I think Darth Maul is like the Highlander or the Kurgan and can only be killed by beheading. I think that's the key. I think you can cut off his arms and you can cut off his chest right below the diaphragm, but you cannot, um, he can't survive a headshot. I'm I guessing that, he can only be difference. killed by low ratings. Um, 
So we'll see how that works out. Zing. <laughs> anyway, so more American graffiti. Now, the thing that you're talking about, uh, going back a little bit to it being confusing because it takes place in the three different time periods. Yeah. I mean, perhaps it was a bit confusing, but I think they do a fairly good job of, you know, um, showing which one is in which time period, you know, visually speaking and everything like that. And I, I do think that uh, it, it would be... Um, kind of cool if uh if if more movies were like this you know what i mean it's it's like mm. it's outside of the box filmmaking and it's experimental in the ways yeah. that you know lucas likes to be experimental and really sure. hasn't had a chance to be experimental in like the star wars movies and i think that you know that stuff is really solid the stuff that doesn't work is the fact that all the stories that they're telling are kind of cliche and boring and 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 stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I think that um, I you know I think that uh, the the only story that I actually thoroughly enjoyed I, and again Paul Lamatt's great as as Milner, but the only story that I actually enjoyed was Candy Clark's story. Yeah, because I thought that was an interesting story and actually showed a character maturing, Mm -hmm. actually realizing, oh, my gosh, this life that I have now is not good. I need to find a new life. I need to move forward. I need to go forward. And that is the lesson that American Graffiti is supposed to be, you know, the original is supposed to be all about. It's time to grow up. Yeah. You know, the the sunset has set on your youth and you have to you have to go out into the world and grow up. And Candy Clark is the only one who seems to do that. Mm hmm. Um, Milner does, but he, you know, it's it's again, it's blunted by okay. Well, this is as far as he's going. He's going to get. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, with the the split screen stuff, I thought it was re- especially because we uh, we took a look at sisters. Mm-hmm. The split screen stuff I thought was very interesting in this. It was that part was actually edited by Marsha Lucas. Oh really? And, oh, okay. Yeah, and she. I wanted to get your take because I think that Sisters is an incredible example of split screen working very, very well when they used it. What did you think of the split screen moments in this? I I thought it worked pretty well for the most part. I think sometimes it was uh, kind of just being done for the sake of being done. But um, I think that they had a a bit of a, a different philosophy in this one where it was supposed to be more abstract and it was supposed to kind of, you know, show these juxtapositions, you know, not so much in order to show like two things happening at the same time, but more to show like two things happening, you know, regardless of time, but showing like different perspectives on the world in a sense. Right. And I mean, I, I guess like, Sisters was more refined. It, it was better in terms of the storytelling and everything. But this, I think, was they were going for more, and mm-hmm. you know maybe they didn't hit it, you know. But it, they they were at least they get an A for effort, you know. Yeah, uh, I I agree that. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I for me it did it felt like they were. I don't know. I mean, it, the split screen felt gimmicky in this um, Mm -hmm. because it felt unnecessary. Like again, comparing it to sisters, you know, 
when the split screen was used when he was killed in the beginning, it's so that you could see from the perspective of the woman who was the witness without cutting away. Yeah. And so the tension is still there. You're still in the room with the guy trying to survive. And at the same time, you're seeing the or you're seeing the guy hide behind the hallway, you know, the, the turn in the hallway while the other people are coming off of the elevator. And so you're seeing that like and it, it actually increases the tension, whereas this, I think, is just there to be there. Like mm-hmm. it, it just didn't it didn't fire off for me as well. Um, but I mean, I guess I guess that's a, a fair comment for the entire uh, film. Uh, Lucas shot some of the stuff I know for uh, the, the Vietnam stuff uh, himself, actually. And he did some editing on that. Um and Which is interesting because this was right around the time that uh, Apocalypse Now was finally coming out. Yeah. And, you know, here it is. It's like Vietnam footage, which was shot in that sort of 16 millimeter, uh, you know, Vietnam documentary style yeah. photography, which is how he had intended to shoot Apocalypse Now when he was going to be directing it. Yeah. And instead, Apocalypse Now ended up being this super high glossy, you know, Mm-hmm. production mm-hmm. and lucas gets to do his version of vietnam here although it's more oh. mash than Apocalypse right yeah I, I was gonna say yeah it's 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 more mash but it's more i would say it's more mash the tv show than mash yeah altman's film mash i would agree with that in yeah a big I, bad I, way yeah uh, <sighs> one of the things my biggest problem though uh with with the entire thing in all honesty is the fact that in the first one, the soundtrack was a character. We, you know, we, we, we can beat it to death talking about Merch's you know, I- involvement with things. In this one, the soundtrack is just a soundtrack. It's just music that happens to evoke an era as opposed to something that feels like a connective tissue uh, you know, until the very end with, with what they do on, on the actual moment of turning midnight at the different years. But there's no, there's no sense of... You know, of that connective tissue. They have Wolfman Jack thrown in there in the appropriate year, but it's very obviously just tacked on as a callback to uh, the, you know, the previous film. So I don't know. The soundtrack for me was, you know, one of the biggest letdowns of the entire film. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And I think like that type of thing was one of the reasons why I was skeptical about this movie going into it because I couldn't see, someone you know replicating that you know you know to to an effective degree but i think you know by going in a slightly different direction with this one i mean since it is the three time periods uh like i i almost feel like that wouldn't be an appropriate thing to do and i mean i i don't know exactly whether or not it is accurate to the the years that these things take place in or whatever. But I would imagine, you know, for people who, you know, grew up in this era or whatever, it would kind of fit to hear certain pieces of music in the the three different, you know, years. And maybe that would help to sort of signify what, what time period you were in as well. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought that the soundtrack was really good, you know, regardless of any of that. I, I, I really enjoyed the music, which was... The music's good, but I just didn't think it... I mean, it was just like uh, it was just like any other sort of like gimmicky soundtrack that you'd hear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
now the the you know the uh, uh, th- this is a tidbit which I I have to admit that I didn't know off the top of my head, but uh, I think it's a very interesting tidbit nonetheless because I think it speaks to how Lucas as a producer was able to leverage a lot of his newfound power from Star Wars um, with the uh, the drag race the mm-hmm. the big drag race at the end with Milner. They needed four thousand people in the grandstand. Do you know how they got them in there? CGI. A <laughs> little bit ahead of the time there mm. for the CGI. Okay. That would come much later. Although right. actually in the pod race arena, it was actually colored Q-tips moved with a hairdryer. Okay. Um, right. But uh, they were all promised uh, free toys from Star Wars. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. They were like, come down here and you'll get a free toy. And that is exactly how popular Star Wars was. <laughs> was you'll get an action it. figure. I'm on my way. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it is really interesting, like with those sequences, like you can really see like the genesis of the pod racing sequence in that. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. the the helmets and everything, which I know mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of it just has to do with like him taking his cues from the history of, of it. But like yeah. the shot selection, you know, some of the sound effects, I mean, yep. the crowd shots, like there are crowd shots where I'm like, wow, you know, he lifted that shot right out of this movie and stuck it in you know um episode 1 you know i mean it's crazy how you could see him on some level i know he didn't direct it but you know as an executive producer and we know how yeah. you know involved lucas is in his productions like he he was kind of like working out things which he would then later use in sure. star wars in episode 1 the big difference being that these races are much much shorter than the one in episode one, but there's. I'm a, not there's gonna. A, I will not listen to you badmouth pod racing. My there's friend. a more American graffiti connection there too, because it was Ron Howard who told him to make it longer. So just like his mustache, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, this, uh, this is, I think, um, uh, Ron Howard's last uh, credited role as an actor on film. Oh yeah. At least until uh, the fourth season of. Um, of Arrested Development. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. you know, hey. It counts. Mm, yeah, it counts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, I don't know, man. I like, it, it, I would love to see, I mean, speaking of that, you know, oh, these shots are, are, are just like this or this scenario is like this. Typically with Lucas movies, especially the Star Wars movies, we know all of the storyboarding that went into it. Yeah. Animatics by the time episode three came around. I I would love to find out if storyboards were used for this. Yeah. I like that nobody's ever going to do a making of more American graffiti. I think if they I if I were to walk up to uh George Lucas or I guess Kathleen Kennedy at this point because they probably own this as well. Um if I were to walk up to them and say I want to do a making of more American graffiti book, uh, you know, an in-depth documentary book the way Rensler did with Star Wars, I would be while they were laughing, they would probably pick me up and throw me down the stairs yeah. like an old exploitation movie. Like there, there's not a chance. Like I, I have a, I, in my head, I think if you were to strand George Lucas on an Island and say, you can either burn the holiday special or more American graffiti. One of these two will die on this Island. I think he would have a real conundrum as to which one like, okay, let's make it more interesting between the star Wars holiday special and more American graffiti. You have the option. One will be destroyed forever. 
and but the, as as uh, the flip side, the other one must be shown once a year for all time. What are your choices? I mean, what are my personal choices, or what do you? What do I think? What are Lucas your personal choose? choices? I mean, I would definitely rather have the holiday special than more American graffiti, for sure. Is that just because you enjoy that specific brand of awfulness more? Oh, well, I think that there's. I mean, like more American graffiti is probably a better quality production. But at the same time, like with the history of Star Wars being what it is and my interest in Star Wars versus my interest in, you know, American graffiti and not to mention the cartoon, you know, element of it and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that there's definitely a lot more to be gained historically by the existence of the holiday special, at least for me personally, than there is from more American graffiti, you know, I, I. I I think I agree with you sadly. Yeah. But I mean for I don't know. More American graffiti will always occupy a, like an obsessive part of my brain where I will always wonder you know th- I mean th- this is real this must have given him a pit in his stomach when this came out and he had empire coming up. He must have been terrified. Yeah. Because you got you've got to think that this comes out and it's, it, I mean, it's a flop. There's no question it's a flop. And he's thinking, oh, my word, I just bet the farm on The Empire Strikes Back. What if it goes like this? Yeah. And the thing is, The Empire Strikes Back was not an untroubled production. Mm-hmm. They almost called the loan on it. It was way over budget. It was way uh, over schedule. And, you know, they, they, so over schedule that they had to have uh, the second unit director direct a lot more primary scenes than they had anticipated and Lu- I mean, Lucas has got to be like apoplectic, mm-hmm. but, you know, at, at this point, like, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I, I can just see, you know, I mean, did he bite off more than he- like, should he have not done this or should he have done this and then gone to Empire? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't see- I don't know what scenario works. Should he have directed this so that Empire could have just been done on its own? You know, like if he if he had taken this and stepped out of Empire, what happens with Empire if he hadn't been as involved in the creation of that? You know, like yeah. what? Why would you split yourself? Like, I, why? I don't know. I, I, I think I think it's a, a fascinating what if scenario. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, this was essentially the start of the second phase of his career, you know, where prior mm. to this, he was a director he had made three movies or whatever. Now he's becoming a producer. He's becoming essentially a studio head in a sense, and he's trying yeah. to figure out how to balance that workload and everything. And, you know, he may he had some missteps, I guess. But he had some successes as well with oh, he, Empire he, Strikes he, Back. <laughs> and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's fascinating. This is, would you, okay, would you recommend this? Final question. Would you recommend this as some sort of curiosity piece for somebody to watch? Or would you just say to them, you know what, you're they never talk about it. They never address this in any of the documentaries. It's as if this doesn't exist. (laughs) You know, would you tell somebody to watch it out of curiosity or just live without it? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's I, I feel like really sort of in the middle about it. You know, it's it's the type of movie where I think like it doesn't have a lot to offer, but there's 
like enough stuff in there which is unique about it that I could see someone taking a look at it just for the sake of of history or whatever. Um, but I wouldn't rush out to see it. There's a lot of movies I would see before I saw more American Graffiti or before I recommended more American Graffiti. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Would you? I don't. I, honestly, I th- I think that I think that you can live without seeing it. Yeah. Um. I think I I think that there there are some curious points to it. I think that there are some things. I, I I think that this movie more than anything is one of those fascinating studies. If you're so inclined in when the the parts are like you, you, your impression watching this movie is why isn't this gelling better? Mm-hmm. There are things that are good. Why is this not coming together? Yeah. You know, is it a fault of the editing? Is it a fault of the direction? Is it a fault of the writing? Is it a little bit of everything? And so if you're inclined to study something from that angle, you know, go ahead and watch it. And also you can see the old fashioned uh, Lucasfilm Limited logo, uh, the green one that we all grew up with at the beginning of it, which is, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's definitely cool for sure. Yeah. 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 So if you've seen more American Graffiti uh, or you are renting it after watching this and you want to reach out to us, you can go over to the nerdparty.com slash contact and look up Great Shot Kid. Let us know what you thought of it. Let us know. Uh, was there something we missed? Are we way off base? Did you see it and you love it? Let us know. The nerdparty.com slash contact. You can also go over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the nerdparty. We post links to our shows there. You can comment to us on those show posts or you can just go ahead and post on the wall and uh you know we'll, we'll keep an eye open for it and interact with you you can go ahead and you can reach out to us uh through the network account on twitter at join nerd party and you can go ahead and you can reach out to us by leaving a review on itunes uh go ahead and let us know whether you're enjoying great shot kid and uh you can go over to itunes look up great shot kid we're right there. Uh, you'll you'll recognize us, and uh, please feel free to drop a rating and review for us uh, because we would greatly appreciate it. Let us know that uh, you know what you like about it, and uh, you know we'll, we'll read that live on the air. So that's where everybody can reach us officially. Mike, where can people find you online? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k, and you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing commentary track stars. And you can find me on Trek.fm doing Stage 9, where we look at the work of Star Trek creators, along with John. John Mills, me. That's right. I'm on Stage 9 over on Trek.fm. And Stage 9 is a a, a delightful one. If if you haven't listened to it uh, this week, yesterday we uh, gave our picks for both likely and dream scenario directors for Star Trek Discovery. It was a, it was a fun discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can also find me uh, co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. You can find me co-hosting right here on the Nerd Party Network, Aggressive Negotiations with Matt Rushing, where we talk about um, the stranger aspects of the Star Wars galaxy. And uh, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie. So... Thank you for joining us for this look at more American Graffiti. And next week, we are going to be watching a film written and directed by John Kasdan, one of the co-writers of the upcoming Han Solo movie, 
in the land of women.